I was Renee Zellweger's stand-in in a movie about a thousand years ago. Hi, I'm Carol Podell, and this is She Takes the Lead. Hey, party people, it's Carol. Today, I wanted to talk about pivoting professionally and personally. So I have personally and professionally pivoted a lot. I guess I'll start talking about professionally first. I was always a singer. I grew up singing. I went to LaGuardia High School, shout out for uh, voice. I went to uh, school for musical theater. I transferred to drama afterwards, but I have always sung. I sang in a rock band in my 20s, like a pop rock 80s style band that you can in fact find on Spotify um, under Modesty Blaze, B-L-A-Z-E. And then I started singing jazz and I've been singing jazz since then. So I'm going to start there, but like technically that's just a part of my makeup, not necessarily like a professional pivot, but I'm going to include it just because it was the first transition. Pivoting is ultimately like transitions, right? Like, I mean, at, at its most basic, which is why I'm referring to pivots professionally and personally, because it's like, you know, like an insurance. <laughs> it's like a life event. You have a life event and you have to pivot, you know, you have to figure out what to do next and how to do the turn. It happens in life all the time. You're planning to have a dog and the dog ends up sick and you have to now deal with the dog or you're dating someone and they break up with you or you had plans with your friend and you were looking forward to it because you needed to talk to them about something and then they changed their plans, but you really need to talk to them about that thing. So now you have to figure out another way to talk to them about that thing rather than dinner. It's oversimplified, but I think you probably get the point. Anyway, I've pivoted a lot. Um, I was a singer, as I said, and then I became an actress on top of that, um, which is not really a big transition. I got into television in my early 20s absolutely nepotism. Both my parents were in television and it was what was being talked about around the kitchen table. And I had ins ultimately and became a production associate at ABC News and then worked my way through there. I was an associate director. Then I was a television producer, a news producer, infotainment producer. Then I decided I wanted to get out of the business. I got into experiential marketing producing, just similar. Um, Then live events. So like you know, big parties. I became a a project manager for big parties, like live events that have nothing to do with television. And then I transitioned into finance. Um, I started out, it was a bit of a fluke that I got in there. I was not happy in doing private events and needed something and had been doing a lot of life transitioning and life pivoting before and got a job. I was executive assisting at a large hedge fund and was able to pivot that into a larger and fuller role uh, overseeing administration and facilities, which is ultimately uh, my profession. I really focus in on uh, real estate and facilities. So that's a lot, right? And they are seemingly unsimilar and maybe some people understand the similarity but they all required a lot of the same skill sets and a lot of the same basic principles that I want to talk about now. I, when I 
left television successfully, I actually spoke with a few people who reached out to me because they wanted to do the same. And they were senior in television. I mean, I had a real seasoned career in television. I mean, I'm, again, not famous, not a celebrity, but I was proud of my work. I won some awards in my work. I've I've done a few things in that universe. And it was really eye-opening. When I left, I got calls from people, like senior, very senior people, asking me if I could talk to a friend of theirs or if I could talk to them about how I did it. And I find that kind of interesting because it's another thing we don't talk about. It makes me crazy, totally crazy, because I guess I was very close to the best in a lot of things. I'm generally a private person. Ironically, I know I have a podcast and I'm talking about my personal life to a certain degree, but generally I'm actually kind of a private person. I was very close to the vest in terms of what I was going through. So it was really only my very, 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 very core group of people knew what the details of just personal things that I would go through and some things I wouldn't talk about at all. And it wasn't until I was maybe in my 30s, big life events, right? that I started realizing that that doesn't serve me. It's not that I'm so private that and information or the things that I'm holding are so precious or subversive that they require me to keep them so close to my chest. That's not it at all. I guess it's probably if I were to unpack it, an amount of like shaming myself or or just a, a lack of perfection on a certain level. I don't really think of myself as a perfectionist. You grow up in New York City. It's very alpha here. People who come here are generally alpha people. They are very driven and very focused. I always think it's kind of amazing when, because I grew up here, this is my home. This is my community. This is where I'm from. I do have friends that have moved from here because they don't like the pace or they don't like the feel or various other reasons. And then I have friends who've stayed because they are New Yorkers, because they are more alpha or they need to be in the thick of things. I definitely need to be in the thick of things. I do like having space and I do like being able to breathe. I do like being stimulated. And I always find it's interesting when I meet people who have come here and chosen to come here from very different places. So I have several friends that are are from the South. My mother is actually from Birmingham, Alabama, and I have made friends with a bunch of people that are either from Birmingham or Indiana or Florida or North Carolina and uh, or Virginia. It's funny because like the, it's such a different vibe. I know that because I've spent a nice amount of time in the South. It's such a different vibe and such a different energy. And I think it's amazing when people decide to leave the energy of their home to move to another energy. Uh, I always find that heroic. And I wonder if I am that person because I'm here, you know, like because I grew up here. I don't really know if I'm the kind of person that would leave my home to go someplace else to build a home that looks completely different than the one I grew up in. I think it's kind of special when you do that. I'm definitely a hometown girl. I'm definitely a hometown girl. This is my home, so ain't nothing wrong with that. (laughs) But I do find it interesting, starting with my mom who did that. I mean, my dad too. It really is a big culture difference when you look at it. So acknowledging that and acknowledging my entree into television, I definitely had a leg up and an understanding that um, some of the people that I was working with didn't. But I also worked my ass off, full stop. I knew live theater.
theater, which is actually how I transitioned, how I made that transition and how I made that pivot was because I grew up in live theater and it really makes you think on your toes, which is very useful in, in any situation. As I get older, I find the things that I learned in the theater are probably the most prominent lessons that are highly applicable to most situations. So I was in television, as I said, for a long time. When I decided to leave TV, ultimately, I didn't want to get into reality TV. And that was where things were moving, like where the profession was moving. I could sort of see the writing on the wall in terms of where things were going in television. And I didn't want to go there. And frankly, the comp was different. And also, frankly, and here's another pivot turn, I knew I wanted to have a kid. And I knew I wanted to have a family. And when you're in live television, when you're getting up to work on Good Morning America, you can ask anybody in that universe, I was going to work at midnight and getting home at nine in the morning. I, I even dated doing that. I mean, literally, I mean, literally, I've gone on a few dates where they dropped me off at work after the date. It's a lot. Like it's a big, it's a big commitment. And it's one of those things that you really have to love it. Otherwise, you're miserable. That's my opinion. But it's one of those things where the lifestyle is very much a part of the profession. And if the lifestyle doesn't work for you, it doesn't work. I assume like that's a doctor, like ER doctor environment. I actually was talking to a woman who was an ER doctor. She's a mom. And I thought it was really uh, cool because she said, very bright woman, obviously, she has two young kids. She said that being an ER doctor is fantastic because she's because when she's in the ER, she's in the ER. She's totally focused. They know that she's not necessarily available. But when she's not in the ER, she doesn't have to check her phone. She doesn't have to check emails. It can be totally focused on her kid. I mean, that is a heroic working mom story, in my opinion. It's amazing what we do. The more that I meet moms, the more that I I just think it's such an incredible species. But I think that's also a big part of understanding when you do want to make a professional pivot, I'm talking about now, that you really have to know or do as much of a deep dive into what you want to do as you can. And we're so lucky because we have Google, even just that alone, but we have the internet and we can really do a lot of research and reach a lot of people that you couldn't necessarily reach you know, even 10 years ago. And that helps a lot to find out information about what the market is when you're wanting to transition or to find out what the job entails even when you want to pivot or when you think you want to pivot. And it's so important. So first of all, the market, you know, you want to know what the pay is because you don't want to transition. You're making six figures in one job and then you transition and now you're making low five figures and you can't live on that. If you have that option or if you have a spouse or a partner that's making enough money that they can support your pivot, that's amazing. It's a blessing. Not everybody and most people really can't do that because two income families are two income families for a reason. So I guess we'll start there. Like the first thing that if I were to pivot again, I'm not generally a person that just wants to clock in and figure my day out, do the same exact thing every single day and then clock out. That's not my way. I know some people really like doing that and it serves other purposes or it keeps their lives calm and stable. Totally get that. I just, that's not how I prefer, but I do like the stability. I do after spending so many years, you know, freelancing, working for all kinds of different companies, a large part of that is the hustle, which is also where I learned some of these 
ideas was really how to hustle, how to network, how to get information, how to talk to people, how to understand, and ultimately how to line jobs up, which is really a large part of what that is. You're needing to work your job really well because if you're working, if you're working on a day rate or an hourly rate or a weekly rate or even a monthly rate, you can easily be you know fired if you're not doing your job. It's not like the rigmarole that's required through HR and through offboarding and all of that. Ultimately, if you're not doing well or if you're not available for certain parts of it, you don't get the job. And those are harsh realities of freelancing. They're similar to entrepreneurship. With entrepreneurship, ideally, you're building out a business, even if the business is you, and you have supports so that if you need to take some time, you can, or at least you know how to do that from your world. I had somebody explain to me at some point the difference between an entrepreneur, self-employed, and a business owner. So those are sort of three different pieces. An entrepreneur is building something from the ground and they are hustling and they're they're building it. Then then that business that that they have created based on sweat capital, based on what they've done, their back um turns into a small business because now you maybe have employees or you have um you have vendors and clients and it's functioning as a business which allows you to then leave because the business should be functioning to a certain degree on its own and then a business owner ultimately has enough infrastructure that they are now running on their own so basically now a business owner is somebody where they can actually leave and go away for 2 weeks and come back and the business is still running it doesn't it's not completely reliant on that. That's what was explained to me and that I've often thought about that. So uh, if somebody has any more input or other structures than those three um, pieces, I would definitely be interested. You can hit me up on social media um, and I'd love to get into that conversation. Um, I'll definitely be talking more about pivoting and I have some amazing guests that we're going to talk to that um, this will be a theme throughout because I think it's such a, an important one now, especially where business models are changing so fast and so epically. I mean, since COVID even, you know, just like the conversation around hybrid versus in office versus fully remote. I mean, even just that is a really big conversation. And from what I've heard often, you know, that becomes deal breakers for people where it was unheard of prior to COVID to have a conversation saying, I want to work from home. It was very, very rare that anybody was like, yeah, I'm going to work from home a couple days a week. It was not a thing. Kind of the opposite. You like, you came in regardless of whether you were sick or had a fever. I mean, you shouldn't, but you did. That was definitely the culture. Okay. In terms of market, there are two pieces. You want to know the market, what the job is, what it looks like, what practical skills you need to do that job, what soft skills you need to do that job. You can find that kind of thing on LinkedIn or Glassdoor. You just look for those titles and then research and see what they're looking for in these job descriptions. Also, you can go and look at people who have those titles and then do a deeper dive, like read into it. I mean, LinkedIn's so smart about that. They've already got it covered. I just do Google searches in general for the titles of certain things, and I find it to be tremendously helpful. So this is a little unfortunate. There are so many statistics out there about women making sense on the dollar to men and then women of color making sense on the dollar to white women and, you know, on and on. One of the things that I find often when I talk to my female friends is the conversation, not about the amount of money, but how to ask for that. And here's where I think I'm pretty good at it. And here's where it gets tricky because, you know, you talk to people often and they're like, oh, just, it doesn't matter. I don't want to talk about money. We'll just 
Um, it'll, I'll take what you can give me. Or the pay is what the pay is. There's no way for me to negotiate. It's just, it's printed. It says how much it, it is, and there's no room for negotiation. I do not buy that. I don't buy that in many, many ways. I work with a lot of different vendors and on the side where I'm the client, and they often give me a number, and it's a jumping off point. And I sometimes give them a number, and they negotiate with me. So in my opinion, I mean, some things are just what they are. And some people, you know, I, I'm not saying you should twist everybody's arm negotiating your salary, and you do need to know when it's good and when it's not good. But especially for women, I'm going to do a, a deeper dive with someone who's an expert in it. Because my experience is after spending 15 years as a freelancer, I've gotten pretty good at advocating for myself and understanding how to negotiate. Like the basic principles. I am not on the finance side of financial services, just for the record. So like, you know, walk in and say, well, you know, I heard this podcast and she told me to renegotiate my salary and something happens. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's some simple tools and perspectives when you walk in to figure out what you're going to get paid that I think think are valuable, especially for women are not as commonly held on to that I would really love to see. And I'm always when I'm talking to my women friends and my men friends, but it's it doesn't happen as often, frankly, where I'm giving some a little advice or, or a strategy on how to walk in. You know, you walk in, you have to know the market, you know where you want to land, you have an idea of where they're going to start. Hopefully, it's a conversation. It's and it's a two-sided conversation, not a one-sided conversation. You have to know what you bring to the table and why you are worth that money, and then let them start. <laughs> let them start the number. I find that to be more helpful because if I start the number, I could be lowballing myself. And if I start the number too high, I could be shutting myself out. So finding out what they're about, I find is, is a very good way to go in and then hold strong. I'm not saying be an asshole, but there has to be some negotiation. Again, that's not all situations and not all scenarios. If there's an ad that says this pays 20 bucks an hour, um, more than likely it pays 20 bucks an hour. But in my experience, I've gotten to 21, sometimes 22, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I hope that this is valuable information so that they can walk in feeling confident and feeling like they have a strategy when they're talking about money, because I think that's really the, the issue. Research is really a big piece. You need to know when you're thinking about a transition or when you're pivoting or when you're thinking about a pivot and you're maybe you don't know what the pivot is. Maybe you just have an idea of what the pivot is. Maybe you just know you like the energy of the business or the energy of the environment, but you're not sure what you can do to serve the environment. That's happened to me. I came in, I was like, I don't know what I can do here, but I know this feels right to me. And I feel like I know this environment and I know I can do something to contribute. And that's another piece. Anytime you talk to anybody who's in a senior position, they generally are so appreciative if you can take something off their plate. If you can bring something to the conversation. Making things easier for them is always good. And it also shows them where you're at because nothing is worse. And I used to do this a lot. I would walk in trying to be completely neutral. I'd walk into an informational interview or, or somebody wanted to introduce me to somebody else. And I'd walk into the situation and decide I was just going to be completely neutral about it and just listen. And the thing is that people make assumptions about you that are not necessarily true, and they're not making them out of any malice. They're just making them because it's in a void. So if you can come to the table with information 
that allows whomever you're talking to to understand you better, damn well do it because it'll help them. Then then they have somebody to work with, you know? Also, then you know where you are. I think I, I had a teacher that used to say, know your relative place in the universe. And it's such a, it stayed with me for, you know, decades. Um, know your relative place in the universe. Know your relative place in the universe. The skills that I have, I need to know that I have. And the skills that I need... I need to know what they are, or I need to be in an environment where I can offer the skills that I have while I learn what the skills that I need are. So for example, very simply, if I know I can answer the phone at a company, and I know I can work on a calendar at a company, and I know I can that I'm, I can talk to people, then I know those are my skills. When I walk into an environment where I'm trying to learn, let's say, trading, nobody's going to be like, oh, hey, Carol, you seem cool. I need to learn what the job is. I need to learn who the people are. I need to, heard, I need to learn what the language is. I need to learn what the pace is, the environment, and I need to learn the skills. And if I don't have the skills, there's no way you're, I'm going to get hired. But I also know that that room may need somebody who can answer the phone. It's very simple. And you do have to put your ego away a bit to do it sometimes because you're probably going to end up doing things that you didn't really expect to do while you were pivoting into a new career that seem like you should be past them. And it's highly possible you are past them, but focus on the donut, not the hole, right? Like you're, you're, you know what you want, you know what you're going after. You're not in a permanent state of doing whatever the thing is that you know, you feel like you shouldn't have to do at this stage of your life or your profession, but you do. We all do. I mean, we have to do that in any role that we do anyway, but it, it's helpful if you can keep that at bay. Once you're in there, you might find that you don't like it. That's happened to me. You get in there, you spend time trying to get into a place, trying to get into a trajectory that feels right, that makes sense, that you've created in your mind, that you've done research on and seen and talked to people about. And then when you actually get there, you're miserable or it's not what you thought the experience would be. You just made a mistake and that's fine. And that is kind of part of the risk of pivoting. You're betting on yourself and on your capacity, but you're also betting that you're right. And sometimes you're not right. I'm a big believer in the difference between like a risk and a calculated risk. And sometimes you do need to step out of your comfort zone to take a calculated risk. And you need to weigh it. You need to be open about the reality of where you want to be, what you want to be, and um, how long it's going to take you to get there. So the difference between a risk and a calculated risk, in my opinion, a calculated risk is very carefully considered. It's a decision that exposes you to some discomfort, maybe the possibility of losing some money. It may jeopardize something personally to some degree. But the counterbalance is that the possibility of benefiting it is very reasonable and the benefit outweighs what the risk is. That's a calculated risk to me. A risk is just like, screw it. I'm going to try it and see what happens. I'm just going to throw it up like gold dust and hopefully something comes out of it. I'm not talking about taking random irrational risks. Your calculated risk doesn't mean you get into action right away. Like we talk about in the podcast, you know, this is really about life's left turns and how to take action. Sometimes taking action is not like doing the big sweeping things. Most of the time, in my experience, taking action is really like, what are the little things that that I need to do to get to there. So if you know that you have no education in a field that requires, and I say requires, 
because experience can be a great teacher as much as a course or a degree or formal education. Depends on the area, I understand, and I'm that's why I'm talking about education. If you know you need to have a formal education, then you need to obviously do that. If there's a way of just taking a course or a couple of courses or getting certified in an area that helps you to succeed further faster, do it. I'm a big advocate of courses anyway, even simple courses, because they can be very valuable, especially when you're in the pivot and you've started to network and talk to different people within the field. It's a great opportunity for you to ask questions, to know what's going on. And then also it looks good. Because whomever is there watching you do this sees you're actually interested. You invested your own time in this. It's not just you're saying, give me, give me, let me, let me do this. Which brings me to like networking. And actually, I have a little guide of three tips that I offer. It's totally free. Just go to my website, aboutablonde.com, and uh, send me your email address, and I'll send you a copy of this. It's like the three main principles that I have used every time I've pivoted professionally and personally, quite frankly. Please feel free to send me your email and I will absolutely send you that right away. It, hopefully it's helpful. But networking, I mean, networking is obviously huge. I mean, and now with social media, your network is also so big. So you want to continue to try and expand it as much as possible within the new industry, generally trying to create relationships within whatever industry or area you're trying to to pivot into, which actually brings me to mentors. Um, they're amazing. And you should have many, in my opinion. I have many. And the only thing that it's done is serve me. I don't know everything. And I think it was Abe Lincoln who said, never be the smartest person in the room because you will always learn. There's always someone in there who can teach you. And again, asking somebody to mentor you is not asking them to hold your hand and bring you into the room and introduce you to the people that can change your life. First of all, that's not usually how that works. Second of all, it's too much of an ask. Having a mentor is really just somebody who you know you can call or you know you can ask questions to who's a safe person. And I'm not saying like emotionally safe. I'm just saying like who's a person who knows you're learning, that you're interested, that you want to grow, who can offer some sage advice. That is a mentor. Some people really enjoy mentoring. I enjoy mentoring tremendously. I like coaching. I like trying to help people. And I have and have had a lot of really amazing mentors in various areas professionally that have helped me as a resource, not to help me get a job, but helped me if I'm having trouble in a situation or if I just want to bounce something off because I have a good idea and I want to make sure it's a good idea or I want to hash it out. Like these are really great people to have and most people want to be helpful. I'm not saying everybody is going to be dropping at everybody's feet to, to help. That's certainly not my experience. But you can feel people out and figure out who the people are who really want to help you. And once you know them, appreciate them. It's a very big deal to find a mentor who sees what you see, that sees the potential in you. Also, when you're transitioning, don't be afraid to talk about yourself. Um, I spent many years not really talking about any of my accomplishments. Uh, I'm not saying brag. That's obnoxious. And it's like gross to hear somebody who's just like, oh, look at me. I can do this. I did this. I did this. That's obnoxious. Um, but know your value, know your worth. And if you need to have a conversation with yourself and like list it out, like your accomplishments, your cortex requires that. Your brain actually grows. I believe it gets a dopamine hit 
and then believes it more every time you acknowledge your accomplishment. And I'm not saying like, I'm now looking back at my life and I've done so many things. In the moment, or like after it happened, sitting there and having a little celebratory moment for the accomplishments you've had helps your self-esteem, your self-worth, your belief in yourself and your own abilities and is a building block to grow on. It's such an important thing to be able to know your own value. And that's the other side of the know your relative place in the universe. So before when I said know your relative place in the universe, I was saying know where you're starting and know where you're going. The other part of that is know what you can do. Know what you bring to the table um, and know how you bring it to the table uh, is a very helpful tool. Again, it takes the guesswork out of other people. I mean, I've heard casting directors say this. I've heard successful actors say this. Like, you have an actor that walks into an audition. The casting director, the director, the people behind the table, they just want to be done. Like, they want the answer to their question, who is the perfect person for this role? You walk into an interview, they want the perfect person who's walking into the interview to be the last person they need to see because they're looking for the right person. Now, there's no such thing as perfection, but if you can find that person, all the more power to you. It's it's much better. So if I know that I'm good at project management and they're looking for somebody who's good at project management, even though the project management that I've done was largely in television, that's a transferable skill that you should definitely let them know that you know how to do it. And again, not, I am the best project manager on the planet. Just, yeah, I know how to do that. What, how can I help? Do you need help scheduling? Do you need help budgeting? Whatever the the meat of that skill is, offer it up if you can. It, it's it's helpful and it's it's advocating for yourself. And if you're not advocating for yourself, nobody else is. I was Renee Zellweger's stand-in in a movie called One True Thing about a thousand years ago, and the stand-ins were all getting little parts in the movie. And I was not somebody who could advocate for myself at the time or just ask for what I wanted, really. And as it was happening, I had said it once. So the director and the AD said they were going to get all of us in at some point to be in the movie. And it was Meryl Streep, John Hurt, Renee Zellweger, and Tom Everett Scott, who actually I went to college with. But the stand-ins for those three had all had little bits in the movie. And in the conversation when they were saying to all of us that we'd have a little bit in the movie, they said it to me. And then Renee is in every single scene in that movie. So I am acting in as her stand-in for the whole film, which means that in order for me to actually be in the film, I have to stop doing my job as her stand-in to go be in the film. So there's basically, there's one scene in the film that she's not really in. Um, it's like a, it's a flashback. I hope this isn't a spoiler alert. If it is, it's fine. Where um, William Hurt is a professor. He's a younger man and he's a professor. And I really thought that was the day that they were going to have like a little day player part. And I never said anything because I assumed that they would. Obviously, they didn't. Nobody's thinking about that. Nobody's thinking about me and my acting career. I mean, they're trying to get a huge movie done with massive movie stars and a lot of money. And they're worried about exactly what they should be worried about. The only person who should have been worrying about that was me. But had I been able to advocate for myself and just say, are we still doing it? I'm really excited to do it. I really want to do it. It may not have happened anyway, but at least there would have been a fighting chance. So those are my broad strokes for pivoting. Uh, I have definitely pivoted personally as well, and I will 
And I'm sure that'll come up at another time. Like I said, I have some amazing guests coming up who will will probably do a deeper dive into some of these topics. I hope that this is at least a little valuable, if not somewhat entertaining. Don't forget when you're starting to think about pivoting and trying to work it out, you want to make sure you know the market. So you want to make sure you know the market in terms of money and advocating for yourself and upping the numbers so they're accurate for you. And you want to know the market in terms of what is out there and what roles are out there to do. You want to make sure you research those roles so that you know what you can do. You want to know your skill set so that you can know what you can bring to the table. So you know what you can bring to the table and actually serve the business or the company or the firm or the client or the person. You need to check your ego at the door. No task is too small. You need to be able to do the job that you can do, not the job necessarily that you want to do. If you need to take a course to get that experience or to get better at it, uh, you want to definitely maximize your network and grow it. Some of the pitfalls is that um, you may be on the wrong track. And so you want to make sure once you're there or as you're going, that you're being very clear about what you want and if you're enjoying it. Because sometimes if you're on that track and you realize it's wrong, if you're actually checking in with yourself once a week, once a month, every day, knowing what you're doing is enjoyable or not, it will go a long way. That doesn't mean like you didn't like one piece of the job, you're going to quit. That's not what I mean. That's that's just self-destructive. <clears throat> Mentors, go find them. Use your network, use your social network, ask your friends. If you find somebody that you're talking to who seems to be smart or has something that you want, ask them out for a coffee ask them for lunch, ask them for a drink if it's appropriate, ask them if they can sit on the phone with you for 10 minutes just to talk through something. If you ask them for a coffee, please buy the coffee. <laughs> That's all I can say. Don't be afraid to talk about what you've done, your accomplishments, how you changed things, how you built things, how you won things, not from a braggadocious perspective, but just so that Everybody knows where you're starting. And then always, and this is in life, I mean, just offer to help. Offering to help is just a good thing to do for people, for situations. Like be the person that's helping, not the person that's making it harder for everybody else to help. <laughs> so that's what I've got to say on that for now. Those are my pivot points. And I'd actually be curious how you've pivoted or what your takeaways were. I'm certain a lot of you have pivoted already. So I'd love to learn about ways you've pivoted or the way you've handled certain situations that I listed in there that maybe I didn't bring up or maybe you disagree or you have another route. I'm definitely interested in how to learn from it and grow from it. If you're interested, I wrote this little guide called Pivot with Purpose. It's just a few principles around pivoting that I've found to be quite helpful for me and that continue throughout my professional life and my personal life in terms of uh, making transitions and in terms of what has helped me over time to be able to transition through all of the changes, all of the things. Um, so if you go to my website, aboutablonde.com, that's me, you can go and give me your email address and I will send you a copy. Again, really a pleasure to talk to you. And until next time, my loves. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe. Also, if you want to keep in touch, go to Insta at About a Blonde or Facebook at About a Blonde Official. Also, you can sign up for my mailing list at www.aboutablonde.com. Have a great day. Mwah.